Uh, it's, it's, I've, been, I've been reflecting on uh, the, the fact that um, uh, I have been blessed. Uh, maybe you reflect on your blessings at Christmas time too. Uh, I have been blessed with very pleasant assignments in my lifetime. Um, uh, I was invited seven and a half, eight years ago to come and be the pastor of a really wonderful church. Um, you know, with great people, beautiful people, where God has been at work, uh, in eye shot of the uh, most majestic mountain range um, known on the face of the earth. Like, spectacular, beautiful. This is a pleasant assignment. Um, I was blessed to be born into a family uh, that had musical talent and ability, um, that opened doors of opportunity for me to learn instruments and sing and explore the arts. And after a lifetime of rehearsing and performing, I'm, I'm blessed to have some musical talent. Um, it's a very pleasant thing. I love that. I, I love, you know, being able to pull out an instrument and do something con constructive with it. Um, I was blessed to be a father. Um, uh, not everybody has that joy. Um, you know, the conception part is, the partic is a particularly uh, pleasant component to that. <laughs> um, but man, if you're, if you're a mom or a dad, you know, you know what an incredible thing it is to see your kids learning and growing. You know, those first steps, first words, uh, th those milestones where you pause and say, when the heck did you learn to do that? Like, how did you do that? Who taught you that? Like, it's like, they're not allowed to be that grown up yet. You know, I say, still say that with my, you know, 24-year-old. Um, but, 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 but then also, of course, it would be misleading to say, and it's all wonderful and easy, right? Um, that, that it all kind of falls into those very pleasant assignments. I, I remember that fear-filled, panicked rush to the hospital uh, when Anne was in the back seat with our firstborn saying, she stopped breathing. And you say, there are some things about parenthood that are tough. She started again. It was an asthma attack. But, but you're like, oh my goodness. You know, and, and if you're a parent, or if you're a grandparent, you maybe remember those, the, the scraped knees, the, the bumped elbows, the hard conversations, right? When, when there was a sin issue that was going on and, and, and the necessary conversation was around confession and repentance and, and directing them in new ways, uh, even more difficult is when it was me that was confessing and repenting. <laughs> you know, right? You know, it's one thing to lead them in confession and repentance, but then when I'm getting real about my own sinfulness, <laughs> those, are hard, those are hard conversations. Those are the, the pieces that maybe aren't all pleasant. And, and, and many times it's in those things that don't go according to plan, right? You know, we've got the plan, we've figured out how life is supposed to go and what's supposed to happen, and then there, an interruption comes. That's when, you know, there's something happens that, that just was unforeseeable, and, and we're, we're thrown into this, this situation where plan A is no longer... Excuse me, I'm just in the middle of something.
I, I, wrap it up, please, ladies. It's... <laughs> All the, all the best with that assignment, uh, angels. Uh, uh, perhaps you didn't anticipate that interruption in our service. Um, uh, jo- Joseph had a plan that was interrupted. Um, his plan A, it was a pretty reasonable plan, right? You know, this young man uh, has uh, been betrothed in marriage, uh, engaged to be married, uh, and plan A is, you know, we get married, you know, we you know, hopefully raise a family, and we live a, a fairly predictable life. Plan A went down in smoke, and when we kind of jump into Matthew's narrative here, we're about to encounter plan B, um, And plan B gets interrupted as well. Um, So let's stand together. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. I'm in the New International Version. And uh, you can follow along. It'll be on the screen behind me. Um, uh, Starting at verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1, this is the word of the Lord. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, you do not uh, not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to his son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But it did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to his son, and he gave him the name Jesus." This is the word of the Lord. May he help us attend to it appropriately this morning. Uh, you may be seated. This is an account of, of remarkable inconvenience. Uh, th- this is life interrupted 101. Um, consider the facts for a minute. Uh, Mary had been uh, in this relationship, had accepted the offer to marry, the invitation, the proposal to marry that Joseph had issued. Now, we don't know exactly how that took place. Typically in that day and age, it might have been an arranged marriage that, that mom and dad had put together, perhaps even from when they were young. 
But, but there was this arrangement that had taken place, and sometime in the 12 months that had preceded the account that, that Matthew's giving us here, uh, there was a, a betrothal ceremony where they were pledged together in marriage. Um, we don't quite get this in our society, but it was as good as a covenant of marriage. It really was effectively that. From that point forward, he would be referred to as her husband. She would be referred to as his wife. And they wouldn't live together yet. Uh, they would, from that, uh, uh, that bet uh, betrothal uh, ceremony, they would, he would go back usually to his parents' home and would prepare to bring his bride home. And so he would uh, build an apartment, usually on the side or perhaps a, a, another level on uh, the house that was there. Building codes weren't quite then what they are now. Uh, not quite the red tape to go through that we require. But this was the process. Joseph was probably something like 18 years of old, 19, 20 years of age. Uh, Mary uh, was something in the range of 14 years of age. I mean, life expectancy was, you know, 45, 50, you know, on average, um, let's get on with it. You've got to build a marriage, build a family together. So this is the process that they were in the middle of, and this is what was, uh, was interrupted in, in, in this. Uh, the history records suggest that those in the Sea of Galilee region were particularly faithful to this process, you know, betrothal ceremony before marriage. The, the groom would come when the house was ready uh, with his bridal party and, and would bring the bride then home. And then they would get the opportunity to live together as husband and wife, consummate their marriage, begin to build a life together. That was the process. Lived in Jerusalem, some of the historical records suggest maybe it wasn't quite as, as consistently observed there. Um, you know, big city and all, you know, people just you know, a little loose with the rules. Uh, but in Galilee, they were pretty good with the rules. And, and so uh, in a shame-based society, this whole story is scandalous uh, from start to finish. Um, th there's this anticipation that's taking place as Joseph is doing exactly what is expected of him. He's preparing. Uh, he is, has gone home to build this house. He's putting the nest egg away, starting to prepare uh, to be able to care for a family. All of this anticipation, all of this preparation, he's being obedient to both cultural expectation and he's being obedient to the, the covenant process that was in place. He had made a covenant agreement with Mary and he's doing his part. So you can imagine that with this anticipation, with this longing, with this deferred gratification that is part of waiting for that day, what, what kind of emotion must have run through Joseph's mind when, when he learned that Mary was pregnant. Now, we don't know how the news came, but you can be sure that it was a startling encounter with truth. We don't know, did Mary bring the news herself, uh, or did she send a family member to break the news to Joseph? Uh, neither Matthew nor Luke fill in those details for us. Um, was, it, was it a not-so-friendly adversary who actually brought the news and rubbed it in with a bit of salt to make sure it hurt? Uh, we don't know whether it was the gossip chain or how it was. What we know is that the news came, uh, and, and Matthew's narrative here, he, he says this. He says, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. That's a fairly literal translation from the Greek, and it's difficult not to read that and hear a bit of an ominous tone. She was found to be pregnant. Uh, you know, it kind of it has this ring of an assumption of wrongdoing. Now, Matthew knows that there's not been any sin going on here. Um, you and I know that there's not. I say that of Matthew because he's telling the story in retrospect, right? He is, you know, years later putting this narrative together for us to preserve the account of what took place. Um, you and I know, we've read Matthew's account, we've read 
Mary's account as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Right? You know, it was that, it was that account that, that, that she was minding her own business at home. This, this, this girl who was, uh, was faithful, was a pursuer of Yahweh. Um, and then this angel shows up and interrupts what seemed to have been an, an ordinary kind of day and brought this, this news uh, that, that she had been favored by God and that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and that she would be pregnant and this child would be, would be savior to humanity. We, we have, have this, she's this utterly virtuous young woman who's doing the best that she can to walk in obedience to the law, the obedience to God. And, and, and then she makes, what's, she makes this selfless choice. Um, Be it unto me according to thy word. Um, so, so more modern English, just what you said. I'm, I'm in for that. I'm going to say yes to this plan that has been presented to me. I'm saying yes to God in this circumstance. And that's an other-centered other uh, response. Uh, there's this other-centered concern that is there. I, there's something bigger than me at stake in what's going down here, and I'm willing to say yes to God. And that was a yes to God at the risk of a shaming in her community. Uh, it says, yes to God, the, the risk of her plan A falling apart. She's a part of the deal. Uh, th this is a, a yes to God in, in the midst of all kinds of unknowns. What? You say? How? Even if Mary broke the news to Joseph herself, um, gave this full explanation that we have recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke, you know, Joseph, this angel appeared to me, and, and, and this is what he said. And really, Joseph, I've done nothing wrong, but he said that the power of the Most High would overshadow me. And you've got to believe me. There's got to be part of, of any man who would hear such an account that's like, has she lost her mind? Like, is this lunacy that I'm listening to here? What the heck is going on? And yet this is what God invited a young woman, a teenager, into. Will you say yes to a plan that is so much bigger than you, that is so much beyond what you could imagine or, or fathom or even prepare for? Will you, but, but will you yet say yes? Because you have been favored by God. Now, 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 I think for many of us, if we were in that conversation, we'd be saying, a little less favor, please. Okay? Like, like I could do with a little less of that because this seems rather overwhelming. Now, this is where we get kind of the first glimpse of the character of Joseph in this situation. Matthew tells us this, verse 19, her husband Joseph, being a just man, uh, NIV, the, the more recent version of that says, um, was faithful to the law. So being a just man, being faithful to the law, is unwilling uh, he resolved to, sorry, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Okay, that's verse 19. Now, now let me say this. That, that is not the normal response to infidelity. Someone speaks, and the obvious inference seems to be she's been unfaithful. What? The, the law commanded that a woman would be stoned. To death for infidelity. Um, that meant something different before cannabis was legalized, um, but um, it, it meant that life was required. Um, she's done what? 
throw the book at her, right? Like, like, and, and, and so we ask the question, how is it that Joseph can be declared to be an observer of the law, that Joseph can be declared to be just if he was unwilling to pursue justice, if he was unwilling to throw the book at her? And, and in this, remember, Matthew has a, a big narrative plan for us here. We're looking at the very first pages of that. Matthew's intent is that we're going to get introduced to what it means to be followers of God and what it meant to do the right thing, but to do it from the right heart, the right motivation, and to find ourselves embracing these two things together. We looked at it already in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, and this is where he's going, and we're introduced to this, that, that Joseph is declared to be just by God and it's a reference to his standing before God. He is a faithful follower of God, follower of Yahweh. He's been justified by Yahweh. Before Jesus, before the sacrifice, Old Testament followers of God were justified by faith, but they exercised that through obedience to the law and observance of the sacrificial system. That's how I demonstrated my faith in God. Ultimately, that sacrificial system pointed to Jesus, and we're saved the same way. We're saved by faith in what God has done for us and that we are unable to do for ourselves. And so, so his sins of omission, his sins of commission were cared for by faith in the one who is able and was demonstrated through his yes, Lord, to the instructions of the law and his yes, Lord, to the obedience of the sacrificial system of, the, of Judaism. And Matthew's giving us this kind of first glimpse, glimpse into the Old Testament law, how this worked and what is going to mean for us to, to not just be doers of the law, but keepers of the law. That, 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 that in our hearts, we are those who love to do what's right before God. Now, despite having been wounded by that which he would logically presume, presume to have happened. Okay, so despite Joseph's wounding here, Joseph demonstrates a godly orientation toward his wife. That's what's going on here. He resolves that he will protect her as best he can. The law would require one thing, but he resolves to protect her and just cover her adequately that she will not be shamed in that society. So he's got, he too is doing what Mary's done. Mary did this other-centered thing. Joseph is doing an other-centered thing. He's caring for his wife. He's putting her needs ahead of his despite the fact that his heart must have been broken despite the fact that plan A has gone down in smoke. Perhaps there was a ring of truth in the account that he heard, that he's like, okay, all right, well, I gotta give her the benefit of the doubt. I know her to be a virtuous woman. I know that, that she is one who, like myself, who wants to pursue Yahweh and do what is right. So I'm gonna, it doesn't make sense. I don't get this. Uh, but but he's, he's working, he's operating in a shame-based Eastern culture where the, the tendency around something like this would be to vilify, to ostracize, to push to the edges, to, to not allow into, into community in the same way. She's, she's risked, uh, by her yes to God, she, she's risking the reputation of her family. She's risking the acceptance of, of her husband. Um, th these offenses were felt in that culture in, in, in a profound way that we can only barely uh, manage to understand the depth of shame that was attached and so here's Joseph, he's encountered the truth. The truth is, Mary's pregnant. 
And, then, and they face this fear that she will, will be ostracized. She will, be, she will experience a vilification because of what's taking place here. Being a just man, he makes a just decision to divorce her quietly rather than publicly. Does God like divorce? He does not. And yet he's called a just man here. He's doing what's right for her. We'll get our minds wrapped around that one, will we not? He, he, he determines that he will behave like God with the same kind of grace and forgiveness he's received from God. And he's going to extend that grace and that forgiveness to her. And so rather than the plan A that he hoped for, he embraces plan B, uh, to, to divorce her quietly. But then that plan is interrupted by this interrupting angel in the middle of a peaceful sleep. Maybe it wasn't such a peaceful sleep. I don't know. But the angel comes in, and we can read it ourselves. Verse 20, after he had considered this, the divorce bet, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, if we can assume that Mary brought that report, an angel appeared to me, Joe, and this is what happened. And, uh, now we've got the angel appearing to him. So if there was uncertainty in his mind concerning what had taken place, now th there's, there's added certainty to it because the angels appeared to him and said, look, this is the deal. It is the Holy Spirit. She's done nothing wrong. Uh, what's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now Joseph is encountering a deeper truth. See, the, 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 the surface truth, the first truth he encounters is that she's pregnant. But the deeper truth is God's in this. God's at work in this circumstance. This looks bad. But God is at work in this circumstance doing something who could have imagined? Now, now let me ask you this. If you are a pursuer of God, if you're a pursuer of God, has God ever been absent to you? Has he ever been absent to you? If you are a just person, if you've believed in Jesus and turned to the Lord, you've recognized that your sin has separated you from God, and you've asked him to forgive that, you've confessed your sin, asked him to forgive it, you've begun to walk in the way of Jesus, then you're just. You've been justified. God has, as far as God's concerned, the way he sees you, it's just as if you've never sinned, just as if you've always obeyed. It's like you've got a perfect record before God because of what Jesus has done for you. Is God ever absent from, one, from, from such a person? No. No, the answer is no, he's not. In fact, the apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 8, he writes this, and we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things, all things. What are the obstacles that you're facing? What are the things that have come? Maybe you, you've given your yes to God. And, it's, and plan A is not going the way you thought it was. Plan B is maybe even gone up in smoke. You're looking at plan C or D. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Now, we don't often get the full disclosure that Joseph got in this situation. But then again, the stakes for you and me will never be the salvation of the world. Okay? Like that was commissioned. Joseph was called to care for this. He was called to dad this, to father this, to, to safeguard Mary and safeguard what God was doing in that circumstance. But it's not uncommon for you and I to receive really difficult assignments where it's not so pleasant, 
where it seems that things have, have gone not according to plan. And it's, it's a very human thing for us to look at those circumstances and say, well, so, this is so difficult, this is so unexpected that we then assume God can't be in this. God's abandoned me somehow. He's left me out of, in the cold. If God loves me, he would. And we fill in the blank. And certainly, if he loved me, he would never. And we fill in that blank as well. And we fill them in in illegitimate ways. Because we begin to assume what God is doing and how he is doing it. No one would have ever assumed this plan. No one would have ever anticipated what God was doing through Joseph and Mary when they gave him their yes. There was a, there was a ride coming, friends. Holy smokes. We're going to talk about it over the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about uh, the, the, the political intrigue. There's a, a story under the story that's going on uh, that Matthew invites us to look at. And then the following Sunday, the 23rd, we're going to look at the flight to Egypt and all kinds of extraordinary things that God was doing in that in order to preserve his plan. No one saw that coming. This was a more difficult assignment than Mary or Joseph ever could have predicted when they said yes to God. What it meant was that, that initial yes required a subsequent yes. And another yes, and another yes, and another yes, and, and a thousand times another yes. Okay, God, you've brought me this far. You won't leave me. You didn't teach me to swim, to let me drown. Some of you are old enough to remember the song. You didn't build your home in us to move away. You didn't lift us up to let us down. There, there's this trusting of God going on here. And this pregnant question, will you participate? Will you, will you give your yes to God? Whatever the circumstances are that you are in. I mean, it would have been a very reasonable thing for Joseph to have asked any of those questions. Where's God? He's abandoned me. God would never. Oh, if God were in this, he would. We don't know what went on in his mind. We don't know exactly what the thought process was that was there. What we do know is what he did. Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until the, she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, now don't, don't miss what Joseph's done here. It's very easy to read past that very quickly. He's done what Mary has done. Mary said, be it unto me according to thy word. Um, uh, he, Mary gave God, her yes, Joseph has given God his yes. Yes, I will obey, I will do. Now, we never actually get to hear Joseph's voice. None of the narrations, none of, uh, neither Luke's nor Matthew's actually let us hear Joseph's words. We hear Mary's, we hear the angels, we hear other people around the circumstance. Joseph's is just told to us by Matthew or by Luke. But here's effectively what Joseph uh, was saying. These are effectively the words that would have been in his mouth. At great inconvenience to myself, not only will I abandon plan A, but I will now also abandon plan B, the divorce bit. And in this plan C, not only will I not shame Mary and protect her from shame, but I will bring that shame upon myself. I will allow people to think that I sinned when I have not. That we're just kind of covering this up by bringing it together and you know, putting a nice little seal of marriage on this. I'm going to let them think that. I will suffer the scandal, and in, in so doing, I will protect my wife. I will protect this child. I will say yes to God, and I will be obedient to God. And in this, I'm trusting God. That if he has led me this far, 
He will not abandon me. And he will help me take the next steps. These are other preferring choices that that Joseph and Mary have been making. Early Christians were mocked for making these kinds of choices. Um, Early Christians, uh, when they would care for orphans, care for widows, care for refugees, when the early Christians would uh, create hospice, hospitals, uh, they would be mocked. People would, uh, in the culture would say, well, they're just trying to be little Christs. Just trying, to, just trying to be little Christ. Who do you think you are trying to be little Christs? Christians heard that mock and said, actually, that's true. We're just trying to be little Christs. Um, and, and what was intended to be ridicule actually became a badge of honor. We will be little Christs. We will be Christ-ins. We will be Christians. And the, and the label was intended to mock and ridicule, and it became a label, a badge of honor, because what we long for most is that we would be other-preferring in the same way that our Lord was other-preferring. We will serve others in the same way that our Lord served others, and we see that in Joseph and Mary's behavior here. The one that they are carrying and will bring into the world would model what they have modeled here in, in little. So, so you and I will be invited to do in little what Christ does in large, to serve. To prefer others. And and so we we can ask the question, well, husbands, Joseph set a high standard here. Can we serve our wives? Can we serve our children? Can we serve our families in this other-centered kind of way? Where where it's it's not, we're groomed in our culture, are we not? Men and women, this is not gender specific. Are, Are we not groomed in our culture to serve self? How do you feel? What about you? Can you fill your needs in? And and Christianity calls us to an other-centered orientation. To, to live our lives in service at the call of God. Okay, so this is, some of you I know have experienced abuse. You know, you've submitted somehow to someone's abusive um, uh, oversight of you. I'm not talking about that. This is talking about serving God's purposes. Get out of that. Like, there's no place for that. This, this is about serving God's purposes where I, I say, God, you've called me to this, and so I'm going to give myself to this, and I'm going to take my step forward in this. And somebody say, well, how do I know that God's calling me in this? It's baby steps, one step at a time. It starts with the first yes. Yes, I will put my faith and my trust in Jesus and invite him to be my Lord and Savior. Yes, I will begin to follow him and see what it means for him to be Lord, to be the master of my life. Let him call the shots. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm, that's how I'm going to live. And so it's a, there's another yes involved there. And then there's another yes. And he opens a door and he says, well, you know, here's an opportunity you could serve in this capacity. And we give him our yes and we test the waters and we learn and we grow in community with other followers of Jesus. And we begin to assess what, what his, the strengths and the abilities are. And somebody says, man, when you did that, I could sense God's pleasure in it. He used you in that capacity. And we begin to further recognize what his call is for us. And we continue to take those steps as we serve our spouse, as we serve our children. Husband, wives, how are you doing at this? How are you doing at serving God's purpose in one another? Do you see your spouse, do you see your spouse as someone who's precious and loved by God and whom he has placed you in proximity to them in order to further his purposes in them? What an extraordinary thought. That's part of his assignment. That's why he's put you together as husband and wife. That's why he's put you together as a family. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And he wants you to bless one another by serving one another in these ways. Well, we look at this calling. We look at it as it's, uh, as it's encountered by Joseph. 
And, and we say, well, how's, how's a guy supposed to do this? Like, how is a dad in this situation, how's a husband in this situation supposed to ever survive? And the text actually tells us this is a journey that is going to be with God. He, he often gives us difficult assignments, but God is with us. Verse 20. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Okay, so Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Joshua. Joshua means the Lord saves. His name is his mission. His name is his assignment. And yes, I'm giving you a difficult assignment, but, but the Lord saves. Jesus is with you. So you're not alone in this. And it's pretty good companionship for a difficult journey. The one who saves is with you. When you feel like the waters are rising to your necks, the, the one who saves is with you. That's a good hope. That's a good help. That's the best hope. It's the best help. The one who saves is with you. The angel goes on. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. This is Matthew, not the angel. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So his name is the Lord saves, and he will be called God is with us. The one who saves is with us. Speaks to both to his humanity and to his divinity right there in in one sentence. His assignments are rarely easy, but God is with you. He is a companion with you on the journey. God with us, the Lord saves, is with you. Now, this wasn't personal. To Mary and Joseph, this wasn't personal. God was saving the world, right? But when you're the one whose life has been interrupted, it becomes very personal. It's very personal. It's like, oh my goodness, how can I trust God in the midst of this circumstance? This was not the way it was supposed to go. When he shows up in the midst of your story. And so what we need to do when we encounter those things, we need to say, God, show me where you are in this story. Give me patience to wait. We talked about the genealogy of Jesus last week and the fact that Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah, they waited a lifetime and never actually saw what God was doing. They had to live their entire lifetime by faith. Few of us have to wait that long. Although, who is it that God's saving through your story? Maybe he's at work right now in a difficult circumstance in your life, and it's you. It's you that he's saving. He's unrooting some old practices, some old habits. He's teaching you. He's training you. He's growing you. He's calling you to put roots down into him to become stable and growing and strong in him in order that you would be fruitful in him. There are other people around you that he is at work through the difficulties of your circumstance. And by your continued yes to him, as he invades your story, you get to ask the question, what are the world of possibilities on the other side of disobedience? What are the world of possibilities on the other side of my saying yes to God yet one more time? Be it unto me according to thy word. What you've said, let it be so. His assignments are rarely easy, but God is with you. Has he been interrupting your plans lately? Anyone on to plan B or C or D, E, F, G, right? Something unexpected is going down. We say, oh my goodness, 
How could God be in this? Has he been interrupting your sleep with angelic visitations? I've had some dreams. It's not that common. More often, he was working through the circumstances. He's working in your circumstances and calling you to attend to things he's saying through his word, things he's saying through his church. Now, just as I wrap it up and and say, will you say yes to him in the middle of the circumstances that you have? I mean, as humans, we tend to say, well, why would I say yes? I mean, this seems too difficult. You know, what, what, what purpose can this serve? You know, we, we want all the explanations, but, but here's, here's the fundamental why. Um, you owe it him your very life. If you're a follower of Jesus, he, he made you, he saved you, he's sustaining you, and he will take you into eternity. So, um, aside from that, um, which is a pretty big deal, um, how about this? He, he's inviting you into the thrill of a life well-lived. The thrill of a life well-lived. He's inviting you to invest your life for its greatest, its greatest impact possible. And it's only possible through your yeses to him. How about this? Here's another one. He's inviting you to, to do so in the midst of community of faith where you would, would participate in the affirmation and the encouragements uh, and the admiration of one another. Way to go. That was a, you said yes to Jesus in that. I see God at work through you. That encouragement that comes from being the body of Christ, the hands, the ears, the eyes, the nose, as we collab- collaboratively become agents through which God is at work. And we get to affirm one another and encourage one another and cheer one another on. That's part of what we're invited into. You're invited, thirdly, you're invited to Invest in the anticipation of this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. We are recognizing that we are not of this world, that we are living for the day when God will wrap all this up and we will stand before him and throughout all of eternity enjoy his presence, worship him. I don't know if there will be a celestial fireplace or not where we sit around with our feet kind of warming by the fire and there tell the stories, but somehow the stories are going to be told. Like, remember when this happened and we thought that this, and it wasn't that at all, but God showed up and then, oh, and, and, and remember what took place. You know, we'll be in this situation where we'll be standing on the other side of eternity with, with a complete vision, and we will see fully, even as we are fully known, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, and we will look and we will see what God has done, and we'll say, well, this was the circumstance that I was tempted to do this, but I didn't, I yielded to temptation, rather I obeyed God, I sought his will, and then God showed up here, and we thought, saw this, and we said, wow, that's pretty good, but look what it really was. There's a whole sub-story we had no idea that was going on here that was extraordinary. This, these stories, times a million, are going to be going on throughout eternity. We'll say, what a God we serve. What an amazing thing he was doing. What an extraordinary adventure he called us into. And it began with a yes. I will forever be grateful that I said yes. I will forever be celebrating those yeses. Where you place your hope and your obedience today is going to resonate through all of eternity. And it begins with a yes. It begins with the yes. I want to invite the worship team to come. They're going to lead us in a worship and song. Would you stand with me, please? We're just going to bow in prayer for a moment together. And maybe you'd put your hands out in front of you as we do so. And let me just ask this question. Lord Jesus, would you show us in this moment, would you show 
Would you show me? Would you show me the obstacles to my yes? That which would get in the way of me saying yes to your plan and to walking in obedience to you. Show us, Lord, Holy Spirit. Has he given you a thought, a word? You know what that barrier is, that wall is? In the name of Jesus, we tear down that wall. We cancel that assignment. We remove those obstacles in the strong name of Jesus. And we call forth your purposes, O oh God. That they would be unto us according to thy word. That every plan that you have for us would be yes and amen. That we would find ourselves walking in obedience. Those who are seeking your kingdom work, saying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we walk in obedience, we're seeing your provision in every way. And that in the midst of the really difficult assignments that you give us, when we are called to walk by faith and not by sight, that you would visit us with an extraordinary faith to keep walking, to keep looking. Remove these obstacles now in the name of Jesus and enable your church to say yes. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.